dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. Pope St. Gregory the Great has an enigmatic phrase at the beginning of chapter 3 of his second book of his monumental work, The Rule of Shepherds. He says, a leader must be first in all of his actions. Simply put, this means that a leader's actions must be excellent, magnanimous, kingly. There's an invitation and an expectation that those who lead live at a higher level of excellence. But how does this call translate for a Christian today? Hi, everybody, and welcome back. I'm glad that you've taken this time to deepen your understanding of leadership because we who are in Christ have a light and a grace given to us by God to assume the responsibilities of leadership with a depth and an intensity that's different from our compatriots in the world. We are not like those in society who lead out of a worldly perspective. And it's not that that's bad. There's nothing necessarily wrong with a worldly perspective. But at the same time, it's extremely limited. It's limited to the material. It's limited to the temporal. Whereas we who live in Christ and lead from Christ, we're called to take the same principles of leadership and and in the same spheres of a worldly understanding of leadership, and we're called to expound upon it and expand it by pointing it towards what is eternal, what is of God, what is infinite in its depth and in its reality. And this is a real wonderful place of evangelization. I think a lot of times people look and they think about spreading the gospel, spreading Jesus as something that missionaries do in far off lands. And they kind of relegate evangelization as something that doesn't pertain to their particular state in life. And so we end up with many very successful Catholics who enjoy a position of of esteem and society in our world and in, in our culture in America today, and yet who don't necessarily think about proclaiming the gospel. It's almost like we think that success and being accepted and evangelization are at odds with each other. And I can understand that, but let me challenge you. What would the world look like if our successful people, our business leaders, our heads of departments, our directors of various enterprises were actually devout in their Catholicism, not just at home, but in the workplace? And what if they looked at what they do every single day in the workplace as something that they could use to benefit the church and their faith life with? What if they could integrate faith in business? What what would the world look like if our most successful worldly people actually talked about God and cast a vision where religion was not an obstacle to their success, but actually the cause of their success? And as if their success and even their wealth wasn't somehow condemned by God or in opposition to the humility that is the, the hallmark of the saints, but is actually pointed towards it 
as if the hallmark humility of the saints was the end goal of everything that they were doing and all of the success that they were obtaining as they stride and endeavored to do great things. I want to flip the narrative on its head, in other words, and kind of allow ourselves to banish this thinking that says there's the world's way, which means success, and the gospel way, which means disdain for success. I want to flip that on its head because I'm enamored with the perspective of the power of the witness that could come from people who are successful in this world and who breathe into this world this powerful message. Hey world, you were made for more. It's not that you're bad. It's not that you're worthy of condemnation. It's that actually you're worthy of invitation. I want to invite you, all my fellow citizens of the secular world, to take the greatness that you find in the secular world and lift it up to its completion in God. All that is good, all that is beautiful, all that is excellent, all that is successful here below is a foretaste of the great things to come and is therefore an invitation of all those who enjoy them here below to lift their hearts up with a greater thirst for the infinite consummation of all of that goodness in the, the constant and eternal joys that are in God. God, in other words, does not take our greatness away from us. God guarantees it. Jesus does not suffocate humanity. Jesus redeems it. And we who are engaged in the very human endeavor of business and business leadership need to be able to look to Jesus not as an enemy of all that we do that drives us forward, but as the one who blesses us and summons us in that drive to taste something of his own love for the Father. I believe that business, in other words, can lead to great and deep contemplative souls. If we really live it, and we live our business not just for profit, but for leadership and impact, well then not only do we transform ourselves by becoming closer and closer to the God who is the infinite source of all things good, but we also evangelize. We, we leave a wake behind us in our culture, a, a call in our culture that says to this culture that its ultimate consummation and highest point is found in Jesus, the who is the leader and the king and the ruler and guiding this whole world unto himself. It's, it's, a, it's a terrific vision. And it leaves us with a perspective that we can, in fact, unite what we live at home and what we live in our hearts of faith with what we live every single day as we engage in our professions. We're not just, in other words, getting a paycheck so that then we can go home and pray the rosary. We're at home praying the rosary so that every day what we do in the office be truly transformative and that we render a heartfelt service through our labors and our talents to lifting up this society and lifting up the needs of our fellow human beings. I want you to get that deeply inside. Because in other words, what you're going to read about in St. Gregory the Great won't have the impact that it's supposed to have. We'll look at almost as, we'll relegate to the role of social leadership what belongs to the saints, when in fact it's just the opposite. Everything that belongs to the saints belongs to the realm of social leadership. 
And this means that since every saint is a leader and every Christian is called to be a saint, that every Christian is called to be a leader. A leader at home, a leader in the workplace, a leader in industry, a leader in culture. It doesn't matter if the in every human life is called to have an impact. And that impact is willed by Christ and will be used by him as an instrument. And I'm just enamored with the power of the impact that a successful person could have when they realize that evangelization is done not only through the proclamation of the gospel in a direct way, but also indirectly and yet powerfully by the witness of their lives. And this is where St. Gregory the Great comes in powerfully here in chapter 3. And he says, you who live in great positions and have social status, and you who live with prowess and education and an understanding of excellence on the outside, I'm now summoning you to couple that with true excellence of action on the inside. To be, in other words, men and women who thirst after the greatness of character, like a man in a desert lost for years would thirst after streams of running water. This is Father Nathan. I know that many of you listening are looking for a better place to be. You're not happy necessarily with what's going on in the world. You're not happy with where your life is going and you wonder if there's any way to go forward. That's why we started the St. John Leadership Institute in Denver, Colorado. The idea is simple. Move to Denver, live with a community of your peers, earn a master's degree in any subject from any university, and become a saint while doing it. Check us out at stjohnleadershipinstitute.org. So we're endeavoring to find this greatness of soul that Pope St. Gregory the Great talks about in his book On the Rule of Shepherds. And we're in chapter three here now of the second book. And what an amazing chapter this is. The title of it is wonderful. That the ruler should be first in deeds. Right now, that word first in Latin is rendered as precipius. And it has the connotation of exemplary or illustrious in the eyes of others. So he's summoning us here to a challenge to say that you cannot lead just by having an office on the outside, but your actions themselves need to be excellent. And, and it's, I mean, his challenge, it, he goes on and on here. I'm going to read from you a little bit of what he exactly says because it's beautiful, number one. And number two, it, it really is a challenge for us. Here's what he actually says. He says, he who is required by the necessity of his position to speak the highest things is compelled by the same necessity to exhibit the highest things. For that voice more readily penetrates the hearer's heart which the speaker's life commends. Since what he commands by speaking, he helps the doing of by showing. And hence it is said through the prophet, get you up into the high mountain, you that bringest good tidings to Zion. So right away, Pope St. Gregory the Great is making an allusion here to the fact that we have a call to give an example by our life. And, and I think about this so many times today, we don't really want to do that because out of a sense of humility, we say, well, you know, I don't really want to put myself forward as an example. And I think that there's obviously something there that's, that's good, right? There's, there's the due humility of us knowing that in truth, our actions are flawed at different degrees. And, and so we don't want to say that we're the be all and end all. 
I understand that. But I also think that we have to nuance that a little bit because if we constantly are hiding with the understanding that we're not the be all and end all, well, we won't be anything at all. And then instead of giving an example to other people and showing them the way, like it says there in Isaiah 40, go up to the high mountain, you who bring good signs. Let everyone see you, you who know the truth. Well, I mean, like if we don't do that, we're going to be like a void and leave instead someone else with their bad examples as being the only thing that's visible. So I understand. And I, you know, I I agree. We absolutely cannot make of ourselves the be all and end all of life. But at the same time, there's that line from Christ that haunts me, right? And he says, let others see the good works that you do so that seeing them, they could give glory to the Father. Or when he says, you are like a city set on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. Or when he says that God lit a light and no one who lights a light wants it to be put underneath a bushel basket, but rather is placed upon the lampstand so that it can give light to the whole house. Right? There's these other phrases, in other words, where Jesus himself didn't hesitate to give a good example. And St. Paul will even say, be you imitators of me, right? He, he, he encourages his followers to imitate him. So, you know, there's, I get it, there's both sides here, but I want you to realize that there's both sides and that there is a point where we understand that if we're going to stand out in front of other people, this is also an invitation for us to live a life that commends those who see us to live better themselves. And this is done in all kinds of ways, by our words, by our dress, by our decorum, by the optimism of our mind, by letting go of our own neediness and clinginess, and and instead pushing forward all the time towards things that are higher. And, And you can see right away, that's going to be a source of healing for us. Uh, There's a challenge inside of each one of our lives to actually embrace that and to not just walk around living the life as if this world was for me and as if I was a tragic victim that everyone needed to put together and I was someone that that needed everyone's help and everyone's attention and everyone's approval in their life. There's an inner manliness that Christianity forges and and that St. Gregory is calling for here, a, a type of holding yourself together under pressure in order to deliver against what you know you really want to give, the heights, an excellent life, to live inside as if we really were a king or a queen with dignity and integrity, instead of letting ourselves constantly go after the smallest that's within us or letting ourselves degrade because of the pressures that are around us, How wonderfully refreshing to hear the Pope get in front of us and say, you were made for more than this. You do not have to live as if everyone else owned a piece of you and as if you had to constantly apologize for your own existence. There's greater things to do than walking around apologizing to everybody for who you are. And that's, but when you enamor yourself with that, yeah, you have the solitude of responsibility that suddenly weighs down upon you. And I I think our culture today just is almost anti-solitude at that level. And that's why it's also anti-leadership. We're rewarded for, for showing everyone our need 
to be broken and to be put back together again in the eyes of other people. We live with such a weight upon us of a neediness for the affirmation of the crowd that we don't want to break free and actually assert ourselves with the inner fire that we know we were meant to give to this world. We'll sacrifice that because if we give that real inner fire at space, we'll find ourselves alone, leading out in front at the top. And that loneliness and that solitude of the responsibility of individual autonomy is something that really scares a lot of people. And yet it's the call of Jesus. One by one, he calls his apostles, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. Are you following Jesus? Because you have to follow Jesus, you have to respond to his call. You have to look him in the eye and own what he asks you to do. Or are we preferring to stay in the crowd, anonymous, without name or identity, kind of fitting in with what everyone else says is okay? And, and, and right away when we say, well, no, we're going to be a leader, St. Gregory the Great says, well, then dare after height things. If you're going to be responsible for your life, then don't live for what is mediocre. Live for what is really surpassing. He goes on, he says that he should not merely do what is right among bad men, but transcend even the well-doers among those who, that are under him in the virtue of his conduct as he surpasses them in the dignity of his order. Isn't that amazing? So he's like, don't just suffice to say, well, I'm better than most. He's like, don't you, you know, those who lead on the inside, it's not even that I'm better than most, it's that my virtue is as good as I possibly can make it. And that might even be better than the best who are among me. This is what it means to lead. What a vision, what a hope for us. This is Father Nathan. I know a lot of people are formed in leadership in ways that are very practical and efficient. This is good, of course, but is there something more? Coming to the St. John Leadership Institute in Denver, Colorado, young adults are able to learn not only how to lead effectively, but how to lead in the spirit. Anchoring a master's degree and specific business skills in prayer and spirituality. Find out more at stjohnleadershipinstitute.org. So Pope St. Gregory the Great is issuing a, an amazing challenge to us here. Chapter three of his book on pastoral leadership, right? It, at book two, he, he's talking to us about how we need to embrace as those who have a dignity given to us in society as a leader, we need to embrace the call to actually lead not only on the outside, but in our own actions. And he's going to describe this. He goes into this wonderful example coming from Exodus 29. This is very typical of a type of early church father understanding of the scriptures where they metaphorically dissect what is written in the scriptures and they apply it to spiritual truths. And so he's dissecting Exodus 29, which is a chapter that today won't garner much attention because we don't really read the Bible like this anymore. Alas, I mean, there's, it's a great thing to read it this way, but it's going to strike you as a little bit odd. He's looking at what Exodus pre prescribes for the priestly vestments, and then he reads in there a symbolism of everything that, you know, we, the priest should exhibit on the inside. And I think that that's marvelous, you know, but I want to apply it also to those who are leading in all the different realms of society and not just to the priests, but you can. And so he goes on and he talks about Exodus 29 
and how the priest is supposed to eat from the breast of the animal and the shoulder of the animal. And so the breast, he's going to, to talk about the inner, innermost thoughts and the innermost spirit, like the heart, right, of the person. And the shoulder as a symbol of those who work and the work that a leader is supposed to do. So both the leader's inner life by the breast and the leader's work by the shoulder, these are the two things that the priest is supposed to eat from the animals that are sacrificed, right? And he says that he, so I, you want you to read this as if it was you, the leader's, so that he, that is you, may not only in his breast entertain right thoughts, but with a shoulder of work, invite those who behold him to things on high, that he may covet no prosperity of the present life and fear no adversity, that having regard to the fear within him, he may despise the charm of the world, but considering the charm of inward sweetness, may despise its terrors. I just find this so refreshing, right? I mean, how refreshing is it to hear a saint kind of get in our face a little bit and say, you know, on the outside, you are a successful person. You've gone to great schools. You've sacrificed in order to achieve a level of acumen and skill in what you do. Congratulations. Who are you on the inside? It kind of pierces through. And he's like, in your hearts, are you content with the pleasure of passing things? Really? You know, or, or are you not really looking to go to the heights? Where's your thirst for God? What has happened to your inner desires of, of God and of infinity and of things that don't end and of love that death even could not sunder or put to, to an end? Do you even dare to think of those things anymore? Or inside, are we just kind of content with, well, we, you know, we're going to meander through life and hopefully get our, our third house and a fourth house and maybe a new car. And maybe, maybe in the end, I'll have some nice time with my grandchildren feeding squirrels on some nondescript lake in Indiana. You know, like, is that the end to feed squirrels at some nondescript lake in Indiana? Is that, is that the high point of your life? A lot of us say, well, I mean, kind of, yes, because what else can we hope for? And I'd like to look at you and say, you can hope for a lot more. You can hope for things that this world could never fulfill. Your heart is bigger than the entire world and all of its glory. When our Lord was given the option of having all of the glory of the world, if only he worshiped the devil, he pointed even to the devil that the high point of the human person was not in the glory of the world, but in the service that they could render the eternal God. Do we even look at that anymore as being so really higher do you in your heart, have you in your heart lost that thirst, the thirst for Jesus, for God, for grace, for heaven? Well, together with St. Gregory the Great, I think I want to actually rekindle that in you and say, you have the right in your breast to entertain right thoughts, as he says, to fear no adversity, to covet no prosperity in the present life, right? Don't put yourself under the things of the world. Realize that everything that's in this world and the goodness thereof, it's made for you and for your soul and for the fact that God will glorify you in eternity who have spent your time here glorifying him on the earth. This is, a, an, this is an awesome invitation, you know. And he goes on, he says, as to the work of the leader, he says, him let neither prosperity elate nor adversity perturb. 
Let neither smooth things coax him to the surrender of his will, nor rough things press him down to despair, so that while he humbles the bent of his mind to no passions, he may show with how great beauty of the ephod he is covered on each shoulder. In other words, he doesn't hesitate to say that, hey, look, you're invited into a type of, of labor and an energy that knows no decline and is not easily worn out. How wonderful. Again, you think to yourself, is this the Pope actually talking about living life vigorously? And I would say, yes, this is exactly what it is. We, we need to hear this again because so much of our, of our mind is cluttered with a voice that says that this world isn't worth fighting for and that somehow or other the Christian is not called to engage in a conquest. We, we, we're, we're instead given a spirit today from all kinds of different sources that's not that of the Bible or that of our tradition that simply says that we should be content with lesser things, live in a selfish way, and when adversity is met, surrender the quicker the better. I just find this completely anti and against our tradition and against what the Word of God incites us to do. Instead, we're called to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, my friends. Not just in terms of geography, but to the ends of culture, to the ends of the human experience. And to do that, we need incredibly audacious spirits and grit and inner metal that have been unmatched by history because our culture has never been more aggressive than it is now. We need, in other words, to rise up with a spirit of conquest. And, and, and this is what he's saying. If you're going to be a leader, in other words, and you're going to claim Christianity as your heart, then you need to demonstrate it by laboring without letting prosperity elate you or adversity perturb you. And to accept the invitation to live in virtue and abolish vice from your hearts. He says, the leader's heart, while hoping for the high things which he preaches, should repress in itself even suggestions of vice. As it were, in virtue of a royal power, rebuke them, in that he has regard ever to the nobility of inward regeneration, and by his manners guards his right to the robe of the heavenly kingdom. Ah, my friends, this is for you. Guard the right, your right, to the robe of the heavenly kingdom. Don't disdain for anything on earth the greatness of the life that is found in Jesus. Instead, embrace it. Embrace it in your leadership. Embrace it in your position of power. Embrace it with everything that you have. You weren't called to little things. You were called to dare great things for Christ. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.